Our Father who is in heaven, may, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Protect us from temptation and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to you. Forever and ever. Amen. I grew up in California, and for a few years I had the opportunity to go to a private Christian school. And it was a lot smaller than the public schools that I, I was used to attending. Uh, one of the things about being a part of a smaller school was they really encouraged us to try all kinds of different extracurricular activities. Not just so that we could try them out, but because they needed all of us in order to, to offer those extracurricular activities. And so I was encouraged to, to play in the band and also to sing in the choir. In the band, I, I played clarinet. Not well, uh, but I was able to, to get through concerts and I was able to, to kind of stick to, to the script of what I was supposed to sound like in the clarinet section of the band. I wasn't as dedicated as, as I should have been. I wasn't, wasn't great at it, but I got through it. Now, in, in the choir, I, I was singing tenor. And I was a little better uh, in singing than I was at playing the clarinet. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't anything exceptional. I was acceptable. And, and that's why I was really surprised when my choir teacher came up to me after one of our practices and, and said, you know, we have a Christmas program that's coming up, Jared, and I'd really like it if you would, would sing a solo. And I, I did not think this was a great idea. I, I tried to find a way to politely say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I was in sixth grade. I, I didn't really know how to, how to do that. I didn't know how to let my choir teacher down easy. Uh, and so I ended up agreeing to do something that I didn't want to do. I, I ended up agreeing to do something that I was really afraid to do, uh, but I felt trapped. As October turned into November and November was getting closer to December, uh, that choir concert date was getting closer. And I was trying to avoid thinking about it. I didn't, I didn't want to, to focus on it. And part of that was not only because I was nervous about the, the program itself, but I really didn't like the song that my choir teacher gave me for my solo. It was a little drubber boy. And in sixth grade, the last phrase that I wanted to repeat in front of everyone I knew at school was a rub-a-pum-pum. Uh, and so I just... I got that refrain down, obviously, I learned the tune, I listened to it some, I didn't pay close attention to the lyrics, and we were getting to the place where we were three days away from this choir concert that, that I didn't want to think about, and I realized I had procrastinated as long as I possibly could. I needed to use the next three days to cram and memorize all the lyrics that I didn't know. And that's when something horrible happened. I was in the middle of my school day uh, in the morning, and the, the choir teacher knocked on the door of my classroom, called me out into the hallway and said, are, are, you, are you ready? And I was confused, and I said, what do you mean am I ready? And he said, well, for, for the choir concert, for the choir program, the, the, the Christmas program, are you ready? And I said, what? I will be in three days. That's, that's when I, I'm going to perform. And this look of sadness for me and frankly for himself and for our choir washed over my my teacher's face when he said to me Jared I I talked about this last week we we changed the date of the, of the concert it's today it's, it's in an hour are you going to be ready and the answer to that question was absolutely not but I I didn't know how to tell him that and so 
I, I scrambled to, to find the words to that song in my binder, and I started looking them over and trying to memorize them, and they were not, they would just, they wouldn't stick to my nervous brain at all. And so before I knew it, it was time. We were walking into the auditorium, and I realized I wasn't just going to make a fool of myself in front of a few people. I was, I was going to butcher this holiday classic in front of more people than I could count. I mean, the room was packed. And I'm standing up there with the choir. I have to stand there through three other students singing their solos. And, and I, I can't even tell you how they did. I was only focused on the fact that I knew that, that I was going to have to sing and I wasn't ready. And, and I was looking around thinking, you know, fantasizing about a way to get out of that room, to, to get through one of the exit doors and just run to the parking lot and not look back. And I knew I wasn't going to do it, but I would have given anything to get out of that, that moment. And finally, the, the student who was singing before me was finished. It was my turn to go up to the mic. I felt sick. I, I was having a hard time breathing. I mean, my, my throat was so dry, it hurt to swallow. I was, I was sweating, and I, I heard the music start, and I didn't know the words. And so I just kind of muddled my way through the, the verses, you know, talking about a drummer boy and gifts and a manger and all that stuff. And, and all I could do was really sing loud when I got to those places over and over in the song where I was supposed to say a rum-pum-pum-pum. It was the longest four minutes of my life. I mean, I, it was four minutes of nonstop failure. It was my worst fear, and it was coming true, and I was, I was hoping it was just a bad dream, but I knew it wasn't a bad dream. It was brutal. You know, all of us have moments when we are more afraid than we could possibly describe to somebody else. Have you ever been that scared? Where, where, where you wouldn't even be able to tell someone else what it was really like to have the, the feelings that you're, you're going through. You and I know what it's like to be afraid and and we know what it's like to be sure that, that we're about to go through something and it's going to go badly. It, it's going to be a train wreck. There are many kinds of fear that you and I have to face. Fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of rejection, fear of the future and what it might hold or what it might not hold. Fear of, of waking up one day and realizing that you've become someone you never wanted to be. Fear that, that no matter how hard you try to protect yourself and the people that you love, that all of it can be taken away from you in an instant. I mean, when, when we're younger, even if we can't quite put our, our fear into words, we're, we're far more open to talk about it, to try to describe it. And, and we don't have any real sense of pride that we're wrestling with to say, no, 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 I'm not afraid. You know, if, as a child, as we're growing up, if, if we know that we're afraid of something like the dark or, or a monster hiding under the bed or, or a movie that's giving us bad dreams or, you know, we, we talk about it. We talk about being scared of things like Brussels sprouts at dinner. But as we get older, we stop trying to talk about it. We stop admitting that we're afraid of anything. And, and I don't think it's because anyone tells us we're not supposed to talk about being afraid. I don't think it's because anyone says to us, look, you, you shouldn't admit that you're scared. I think it really comes from watching other people and especially watching adults around us. You, you know, you almost never hear an adult confess directly to another person, I'm afraid, I'm scared. 
Uh, we, we use different words as adults to talk about fear, right? We talk about being concerned. Uh, we talk about being worried. We talk about, at times, being anxious. But it is rare for adults to say directly and bluntly, I'm really afraid. I'm really scared. And so we learn from watching other people, and we think, okay, well, I may have those feelings, but I'm not, I'm not going to admit that to anybody. And, and when we don't talk about the things that scare us, our fear doesn't go away, it just goes underground. And, and when it goes underground, it can become invisible to us. It's driving us, but we don't realize it. And, and, and I find so often it's easy for me to see the way other people are scared and how their fear is driving them, but it's so much more difficult for me to see my own fear. And, and we're so vulnerable at that point. We're, we're vulnerable where, where if, if somebody would tell us that we don't have to be afraid, we just might follow them anywhere. Politicians know this, right? If, if you want to win an election, you figure out what makes people really afraid, right? You figure out what they're, they're scared of more than anything else, and then you promise them that you're the one, the only one, who can help protect them from the things that scare them, right? So if you, if you figure out in listening to people that that what they're mostly afraid of is that they're not going to be able to provide for themselves and their family in the way that they're used to. You realize that their fear has to do with the economy. And so you promise them. You say, you know, no, no matter what happens, I'm going to shield you. I'm going to protect you from, from financial danger. If you figure out that people are nervous that our best days are behind us, right, that, that, that they don't really have any real hope for what's around the corner. You tell them that, that you have hope for what's around the corner, that you're going to take them to a, a better day and a brighter tomorrow. They just, they just need to do what you're asking them to do. They, they just need to vote for you. If you figure out that people are, are terrified of the fact that maybe they don't matter, right, that maybe nobody sees them or listens to them, well, then you assure them that you're the one who sees them. You listen to them, and not only do you see them and listen to them, but you're going to do whatever it is they want. You're, you're going to take them wherever they want to go. You're going to do whatever it is they ask. Now, it doesn't matter that no one person could possibly deliver all of those things to us. We are so afraid deep down at times in our lives where if somebody comes in and tells us that they not only have the desire but the ability to rescue us from whatever it is that scares us, even if we know it's not true, we want it to be true so badly that we'll, we'll deceive ourselves and we'll think, well, maybe, maybe this person really does have the ability to rescue me. Maybe this person really does have the power to protect me from the things that scare me most. You know, there are forces in our world and in our lives that have been making us afraid in the deepest parts of who we are since the very beginning. And when I say there's been fear since the very beginning, I mean at least as early as that moment when Adam and Eve reach out for that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden they take a hold of it, and somehow in that moment, something dark and frightening and hungry was let out of its cage. Something that, that we call evil. And it's not hard to see evil's ravishing effects all over the place. Right? We look in our world, we look into people's lives, and we can see it. People being devoured and dismantled by greed, anger, 
lust, selfishness, parading as self-realization, people doing whatever they want, no matter how it impacts anyone else, people being taken advantage of by those who are in power, people being attacked by other people who don't understand them or even, or even try to understand them, people being attacked by people who, who don't care about them, human beings deformed by their own choices and the deforming choices of others. Brothers and sisters, we know what evil looks like in our world and in our lives. In fact, if we start to see it, it's hard for us to stop seeing it. And it becomes too much for us to take in. It becomes too much for us to get our our heads and our hearts wrapped around. It's too much for us to handle. And we realize that it's honestly too much for us to fight against on our own. And when you and I figure out that we're facing something that's too hard for us to fight against on our own, it makes us afraid. And for good reason. The Apostle Paul talks about this struggle against the darkness of evil in his letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to start reading together in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says, and in his mighty power. Now, you don't tell people to be strong when they already feel strong. You, You tell people to be strong when they feel weak. You tell people to be brave when they're afraid. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Paul uses language here in Ephesians chapter 6 to make it clear that it's not just our imagination, right? It's the truth. There are forces of evil in the world and those forces of evil through the devil's schemes are always trying to become a part of who we are. Not just something we experience out there, but a part of who we are in here. For Adam and Eve, there was this this temptation, there was this destructive longing to reach out and take that forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. For us, it's it's the destructive temptation, the, the impulses to do things that might feel good in the moment, but we know, we know from experience and we know from watching other people that it's going to hurt us and it, and it might hurt somebody else. And yet, because we're in this constant war that we're trying to wage, and we have good days, and we have days where, where we give in to those, those struggles with temptations, we find that we do things that can only be described as evil. You know, we, we give in to the impulse to take and, and keep taking from other people, even if they don't have enough. We, we end up treating other people like they're objects we can use to get where we want to go, to experience the things we want to experience. We get rid of relationships that aren't rewarding enough for us, and we feel like might be taking too much of our time and our effort. We, we end up giving in to these, these moments where we, we find we can control other people through deception and manipulation. We, we give ourselves excuses to experience pleasure regardless of the cost, regardless of of who it hurts. Paul wants us to know that our lives, brothers and sisters, they don't get derailed by accident. Our failures, they, they don't threaten to overcome us by chance. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, he says, 
and they desire not only to, to impact us, but to destroy us. They desire to take everything good away from us. And the front line of that battle is, is your heart. It's your soul. The front line of that battle is my heart, my soul. It's not somewhere out there. It's in us. You know, I have times in my life where I, I do something, I say something, and I don't, I don't recognize who I am in that moment. You know, we, we hear people, celebrities often, or, or, or politicians who will apologize for something evil that they've done, something they regret, and they say, that, that's not who I am. And, and it's not just people in the public eye that have those kinds of moments of clarity. We, we all have times where we look back and we think, why did I, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why? I didn't mean to hurt my friend that way. I didn't mean to, to mistreat this person I, I cared about. What, what's going on? Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul would tell us when we have those moments of clarity, it's then that we're reminded that we're not just here, we're, we're here fighting for everything that's good and holy and sacred to be what we base our life upon. We're, we're waging a war, we're fighting a battle to become the kinds of people that Jesus says we can be. We're not just here, but but we're, we're fighting to become people who remind this world that while there's evil everywhere, the good will overcome. That good will overcome in my life, and your life, and in the lives of all the people that we come into contact with. We aren't simply moving through life. We're being pushed and prodded along the way as well. And we need to be awake and aware. We, we have to intentionally engage that battle, wage that war. We, we have to intentionally fight against this constant stream of, of temptations that we face to be someone other than who God calls us to be. And so we, we pray as Jesus teaches us to pray. Protect us, God. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us away. Help us be strong. Help us be good. But we're struggling with more than just temptations to, to do the wrong things in our hearts. We're also living in a world where the wrong kinds of things happen all the time, right? We're living in a world where bad things happen to good people. We're living in a world where dark things like COVID-19 and cancer and severe storms and flooding and miscarriages and all kinds of other tragic events come crashing into our lives. And while we don't ever fully know why those things happen to us or when they're going to happen to us, we all know sooner or later that they do happen. And they happen to every single one of us. And as frightening as our own personal struggles with temptation can be, you know, we tend to know our struggles. We tend to have a sense of, of the kinds of, of sin, the kind of evil that we're drawn towards in our hearts. But what makes these, these outside events that cause sorrow and sadness to, to suddenly envelop our lives, what makes them, them so difficult for us to face is we don't know they're coming. They, they catch us off guard. And because they surprise us that way, they, they carry within them the power to not just challenge us, but to undo us. And while God is able, miraculously, all the time, right, God is, God doesn't waste a thing that happens to you. God is able to, to use these horrible kinds of events in our lives to give birth to something beautiful. While that's part of the potential of, of these kinds of moments, 
we always know that when we have to face tragedy and difficulty and loss, we, we're in danger of losing ourselves to the grief and the pain and the sorrow that we're, we're going through and, and suddenly doubts, not, not so much in God's existence, but doubts in God's goodness. They start to, to gnaw at our faith, to erode any sense of, of joy that we have in our lives, to chip away at our trust in our Heavenly Father. When tragic experiences take place in our lives, brothers and sisters, they often become the place where we realize that evil out there could dismantle us, could, could tear us down and, and overtake us. And so we pray. We pray for God to not only protect us inside, to, to, to protect us from temptation, but we also pray for God to deliver us from the evil that's out in the world that, that we don't see coming until, until it's too late. Watch over us, we beg God. Look out for us. Help us, heal us, comfort us, bind up our, our broken hearts. We, we can't make it on our own. We, we need you, God, to save us. Save us from ourselves. But don't just save us from ourselves. Save us from all the things that, that we have to go through that cause us sorrow and sadness and, and cause us to have doubts in our hearts that, that make, us, they make us have these moments where we're not sure what we believe or who we believe in. Save us, God. Jesus teaches us to pray. Save us from evil. And, and yet the question remains, we've prayed that prayer before if we've ever prayed at all. I, I'm convinced that, that the first pure prayer anybody prays is help. Right? If you're there, help. Please, Save me. Rescue me. Be there for me. We've, we've prayed that before. We have asked in so many words for God to protect us and deliver us before. And if we have this Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us, and we've said that prayer before, then why? I think we have to honestly wrestle with this, right? Why do we still struggle with temptation? And, and why do, do difficult things still happen to us? And the only answer that I can give to that undeniably honest question is this, that God always hears us when we pray for protection and deliverance. And more than just hearing us, God always faithfully responds. God always says yes. It's just that we don't always know how to see it. Instead of, of taking away all of our temptations and wiping away all of the things that bring us sorrow, God decides to join us in the midst of, of our battle against evil. God believes that his faithful presence in our lives and by our sides gives us the ability to fight those temptations and to survive the tragic storms of life. God, brothers and sisters, is convinced that, that his decision to join us is our deliverance. His presence is our protection. The prophet Isaiah speaks this truth to Israel and to us in Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 1. But now, Isaiah writes, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, 
Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Brothers and sisters, when we ask God to save us, his answer is always yes. But that doesn't mean that he's going to whisk us away from the things that scare us, the things that are about to undo us. Instead, God's yes is to join us, to fight with us, to fight for us. God doesn't give us an easy way out. God gives us himself and God becomes our way. Not a way out, but a way to the other side. God doesn't save us from the struggle, brothers and sisters. He saves us through it. He saves us in spite of the struggle. I mean, Isaiah makes it clear, right? There's going to be times when we're afraid, and for good reason. The waters are rising, and then the fires are raging, and Isaiah says all those things are going to continue to happen, but God will be with you. And so even though the waters raise, and even though the, the fires rage, you will not be swept away. You will not be consumed. When we join Jesus in asking God to protect us, to, to deliver us, we are not asking for a life that is free of struggle. We're not asking for a life that's, that's free of the struggles of temptation and the, and the struggle of pain. No, we're, we're asking God to share in our struggles, to participate in our pain, that's what we're really asking for when we say, God, protect us, deliver us. We're really asking for God to be with us and to be for us. And every single time we ask, God says yes. God says, to my child whom I dearly love, take heart, take courage. I know, it's, I know it's frightening. I know it's scary. I know that there's evil everywhere you look, but don't look there. Look at me. I'm with you. I'm beside you, and we are going to get through this together. I promise you, God says. I promise.